and their authenticity, there are 73 songs that are attributed to David, of which 45 are disputed only by the most serious skeptic. There are none of David's songs which can be dated with certainty to the period of his life when he served his father as a shepherd. However, it's certain that he drew upon this formative period in the writing of several of his songs. Among them are Psalm 23, Psalm 8, and Psalm 19. Psalm 23 might be the most well-known psalm, both among Christians, Jews, and non-Christians as well. I've heard it recited at many, many funerals, even those funerals of people who were obviously not believers in the Lord Jesus. I would be very, very surprised if we took a poll. We're not going to. But I'd be very, very surprised if we took a poll tonight on, on whether or not you've heard a sermon on Psalm 23. In fact, I would be very surprised if everybody in here hadn't heard four, five, or ten sermons on Psalm 23. It is maybe not just the best-known psalm. It might be the best-known passage in the entirety of the Scriptures. But I would ask your indulgence or patience with this with regard to our study tonight. I know you've heard this information before, but I'd like for you to listen to it afresh as though you've never heard Psalm 23 before, and let it speak to you again. It is a psalm of great comfort, and surely David's experiences as a shepherd, as a young shepherd, form the foundation for this great psalm. Again, we don't know when he wrote it, but it is certain that he drew from the experiences as a young shepherd boy in order to form the foundation for this great work. Spurgeon called Psalm 23, the Pearl of Song. Alexander McLaren wrote of this song, The world could get along without many a large book better than this sunny little song. In Psalm 23, David reflected on the many blessings the Lord had given him, especially in the dangers of life, and concluded that he could always count on God's goodness and loyal love. Psalm 23, I spoke about superscriptions or headings a moment ago. This is the superscription, and you see that in almost all your Bibles. Very few Bibles have taken this out. But these are the superscriptions that will say a psalm of David, or a psalm of David as he was running from Absalom. Those are the things that we don't think are necessarily in the original text, but they have very ancient authentication, and so they are, they are very, very helpful. That's what we mean by the superscription. David, in this psalm, reflects on the goodness of God, on the many blessings that the Lord has given him, especially when things were going tough. That's one of the reasons it's so beloved, because we all go through difficult times, at least at one time of our life or another. And David realized that God had so many blessings for him, even in the middle of difficult times. And he concludes that he could always count on God's goodness. And God's loyal love. One of the words we're studying will be chesed. Loyal love is one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament scriptures. It means loyal love. It's sometimes translated grace or mercy or just love. David knew that he could count on it, even in the middle of extreme difficulty. The way the psalm begins is very, very simple. The Lord is my shepherd. Here David employed the figure of a shepherd to recall the blessings that he enjoyed from the Lord. In his youth, 
David was a faithful shepherd who put the needs of his father's sheep above his own. The comfort of his father's sheep above his own and the safety of his father's sheep above his own. Later, we're going to read that during this particular time, David protected the sheep from both a lion and a bear, killing the lion by grabbing his beard and beating him to death with some other instrument, either his fist or a, a rod of some sort. I'm told by those who know, I'm not an expert on lions, but I'm told by those who know that lions don't particularly care to have their beard grabbed and to be beaten with a some sort of club. When you think of that, and when you think that he was at the very, probably the very most, 16, 17 years old when he does it, because he's going to be somewhere between 18 and 20 when he fights the lion. This is a relatively young kid, but he takes his responsibility as a shepherd of those sheep so seriously that he's going to grab a lion by his beard. I mean, the mouth is right by the beard. The teeth are right by that big, long teeth. And he beats him. Now, that, that is a man who's probably not going to be afraid of Goliath because if he's going to do that to the lion and to the bear, he already knows God's on his side. He better. He better not be doing that in the inner demons of his own flesh. That's a serious shepherd. That's the kind of shepherd that David was. Isn't it interesting that God uses being a shepherd to, for at least two people, two major players, to train two major players for future leadership roles in God's church? One is Moses. Remember, he spent four years as a shepherd. He had to go to that training ground to learn then how to shepherd God's sheep. And then, of course, David spent his youth as a shepherd, learning how to be a leader in Israel. Being a shepherd is not a glamorous job at all. It is, in fact, it is a lower job than the totem pole. It is not just in the time of David, but on even in Solomon. And this brings up a significant point. David was a faithful shepherd. He was shepherd even in the small things, even when people weren't watching. Have you ever thought of that? You're out there, you're out there in the field by yourself, and nobody else is watching. So what if that lion would have come and taken away one of the sheep? No, but if they did a count, maybe just say, well, listen, I was way over here, and that lion came over here. I was high dead, but there's nothing I can do about it. He could have easily let that go. But he doesn't do it because he's been given a task to do it. Even though it's a menial task, David still does it at 100%. Sometimes I hear people, especially in athletics, don't you hear sometimes? They need to give 110%. You can't give 110%. 100% will do quite nicely, thank you very much. And nobody gets 100%. If you did, you'd probably die on the football field, or on the baseball field. You'd run right through walls to try to get the fly balls and so forth. But David gives 100%. If we are not faithful, as David's brother will later put it, with those few sheep in the wilderness, then why do we think we're going to do better when God gives us something different? Some of us have a tendency to hold back on getting serious about our spiritual life until God gives us something significant to do. As if what He's giving you right now is not significant. Then we'll give 100%. Once He gives me something significant, then I'm going to give 100%. Do you really think that you're going to give 100% then if you're not giving 100% now? Do you really think that? Do you really think you can turn it on and off? That easily. It's not going to last very long. 
we need to learn as transportation students that there are no little people and there are no little places. We used to for years have a magnet on our refrigerator that said blue million places. And that's the best you can do is the best you can do and wherever you are right now is where you need to do it. And you need to do it with a hundred percent intensity. No matter how insignificant you think filling the blank, whatever it is you're doing right now. Oh boy, if, if I was Billy Graham and I was speaking in front of a hundred thousand people, then I'd really spend some time in preparing that message. You ought to prepare that message that you're doing for the children at church with the same intensity. If you're a greeter at church, you ought to greet at church with a hundred percent intensity. If you usher, you ought to usher with a hundred percent intensity. If you play the piano, you ought to practice and do that with a hundred percent intensity. Whatever it may be, and there's so many, there's so many things around the church that people think, oh, that's not, that's not a big deal. Or there are things that we do at home, that's not a big deal. That's a big deal. We all are in ministry. Every single one of us. Every one of us is in a ministry of some sort, and we need to do it with 100% intensity, no matter how insignificant you might think it is right now, because it's not insignificant. It's God gave it to you to do it. And it may be being the best dad you can be. The best grandfather. Or the best mom or the best grandma. Or the best, the best next door neighbor, the best witness to that next door neighbor. Whatever you're doing right now, that's the most important thing in your life. Wherever, you, wherever God has you, we need to grow where we're planted. I talk to people sometimes who get to a point in their life where maybe they can't even get out of the house. They seem to be almost confined to a chair and they say, what can I do? I can't do anything for the Lord anymore. My life is over. You know my response to that? You're still thinking God has given you the air to breathe and the ability to think you can still pray. And you need to do that with 100% intensity. There's not enough time to sit on the sidelines or to give it 50%. I was listening to a sports commentator today talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers are, I think, still in first place in their division. But they're a little bit older team. And what, what they were saying in this news report was that everybody knows, the superstars on the team and the coach knows, that they're just giving about 50% energy right now. Because they're saving themselves for the playoffs and they're going to turn it on in the playoffs. How many times do you see people do that in the athletic world? They save it, they save it, they save it, and all of a sudden they want to turn it on. And it doesn't happen. But the team that's almost in last place, that's really struggling just to make the playoffs, they're having to put every bit of energy and intensity into it. And when they go to that first playoff game against the team that's been dogging it for so long, oftentimes, the great team can't turn it on, and that lesser team that's doing things with 100% energy ends up winning that game. And everybody says, well, why in the world did that happen? I cannot figure that out. It has to do with intensity. And we have got to be intense with regard to our spiritual life, no matter what it is God has given you to do. If David would have said to God or to whoever would have listened, to heck with these people. They can be reclaimed. I'm not going to go after that line. I'm going to save myself for this epic battle that I think I'm going to have someday with this uncircumcised Philistine. I can't risk anything right now. I can't risk playing an ankle because I just might not be able to fight that giant someday. Of course, that's theoretical, but if he would have said something like that, it's very unlikely that God would have ever put him in a position to fight Goliath in the first place. If he wasn't faithful back then, he wouldn't have been in a position to exercise even greater faith in the future. Whatever task God has.
is given to you today. Whatever is right in front of you, God expects 100% excellence. Don't wait for Sunday to get it wrong. Sunday is today. There are no guarantees on the future. You don't know that there's a someday later on down the line. From what little we see of David's youth, he was a master of faithfulness in the little things. The Lord is my shepherd. Philip Keller, his book, The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, writes, Sheep require more than any other class of livestock endless attention and meticulous care. Sheep have no natural defenses against predators. They're extremely edgy and won't lie down to sleep unless the conditions are just right. They need water like any other animal, but they have trouble finding drinkable water on their own. They have a tendency to wander off from the safety of the flock and get themselves into dangerous mess. They are thoroughly unpredictable, leaving strict boundaries, so the shepherd must always be planning ahead. Frequently, the sheep will see the shepherd as a friend one day, and a person who works with sheep told me this this afternoon, they'll see the shepherd as a friend one day, and then the next day, for apparently no reason whatsoever, they run at the sight of him like a bunch of scared birds. Bottom line is, sheep are not necessarily very smart. The problem is, the scriptures train us as sheep. And it's not a big compliment. The Hebrew word for shepherd is ra'ah. Yahweh is my ra'ah. This at once expresses confidence in the Lord and humility with regard to himself. David recognized that he needed a shepherd. Like a 16, 17-year-old, maybe even younger. And I've already grabbed a lion by the mane or by the beard. I've beat him to death. I might just be arrogant enough to think, you know, I can handle this one. Look out there with a couple of I've already taken care of that. I don't need anybody. But that wasn't David. He understood that he too needed a shepherd. And he understood that absent a shepherd to care for him, he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. That's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? Because we have this ingenuity. We have intelligence. We've got this get-it-done attitude. We've taken care of ourselves all our life. I don't need help. Thank you very much. I'll get it done without God. Just thank you very much. You, I can do it myself. Like David, he would have never said something like that. He was no more able to fend for himself than those sheep were that he was guarding out the river. And he knew it. And it's one of the things that makes David great. Yes, he was flawed. But he was great at the same time. And this is one of the things that makes him great. The shepherd metaphor was a prominent Many kings compared themselves to the shepherds in their leadership capacity. Hammurabi did. Cyrus, the Persian, did. They were both called shepherds of the people. Isaiah used shepherd imagery in chapter 40, verse 11, speaking of the coming Messiah. He says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the land. 
and carry them in his bosom, he will gently lead the nation through. Later, 700 years later, Jesus identified himself as the shepherd of Israel with this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. He says he's the good shepherd. He was the expected good shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 calls him the great shepherd. The chief shepherd is how he's referred to in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Because the Lord, Yahweh, was David's shepherd, his needs were met. The Lord is my shepherd. Sometimes I wonder if David could have sat after that first loss and really fulfill everything he had. Other people looked to deities, those who were polytheists, and would, well, David looked to a deity to say that that deity was sufficient. So what David is saying may be emphasized this way. Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh, focusing on him. It could also be focused, Yahweh is my shepherd. But either way, with all that implies, the Lord is my shepherd. But I'm glad that he's at home. The next line of the psalm is an important one as well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Kind of older English. It doesn't mean he won't have desires. But it means that I do not lack for anything. Yahweh is my shepherd. Therefore, I do not lack for anything. As a human shepherd, David knew that he himself was an imperfect shepherd. He had certain weaknesses. He had it humbly, I think, sometimes, being a human being, he was frustrated with the sheep. But Yahweh, David's shepherd, our shepherd, yours and mine, is a perfect shepherd. David was imperfect, although great. But Yahweh, perfect shepherd, he loves us with a love that knows no bounds. He's omnipotent meaning that he's perfectly capable of providing for our every need, whether it be protection in the time of crisis or comfort in a time of need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for anything. Yahweh is omniscient, meaning that not only can he give good gifts to his children, but he knows perfectly well when to give them and when not. Children, remember, and then when not to give them, 
God is God, He's omnipotent, and He loves you. He's omniscient, and He knows exactly how to distribute these things, and He's powerful enough to get it done. That's Yahweh. That's Jesus Christ. The New Testament Christians would say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I can't fight with Him. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. David's day, sheep commonly were pastured in the wilderness. And this lamb in the wilderness, particularly Israel, would choose many lambs from very, very few. So one of the primary tasks of a shepherd was to find acceptable grass in the middle of harsh country for his sheep to feed upon. Have you ever seen pictures of the area outside of Bethlehem? I don't know where they found the grass. But that was the shepherd's job, to keep moving these sheep around until something was found. The way he puts it, making me lie down in green pastures, suggests, though, not just adequate feeding, but ample feeding. There's a feed for these sheep. It's a feed for David. He doesn't just take care of the basic necessities. He blesses us beyond our wildest expectations. In this metaphor, the sheep are fed and happy and have no need to look any further for anything to eat. They're laying down on what they should eat. That's the kind of shepherd the Lord is. Lying down also hurts us in fear. They're lying down in the middle of the wilderness. It means they're hungry. At least they're not skittish at this point. It means they're not skittish. But they're still in the wilderness. We ought not to miss that. We live in a wilderness world. If you don't believe that, just instead of putting exercise in the morning, just go home one day and turn on the turn on the news channel. And you'll, you'll see what kind of wilderness you can awaken people from. Think about it all over the world. The same things are happening here in our own country. There are economic problems, there are immigration problems, there are violence problems, there are terrorism problems. There are problems with having the military far, far, far too expensive for our own good. Oh, my goodness, if you look at those things, you realize we live in a wilderness, a great wilderness. But at the same time, Yahweh is our shepherd. Therefore, I cannot lack for anything. It doesn't mean he's going to take me out of the wilderness and move me to basin where the fields were more plentiful. Still in that wilderness. But even in the middle of the wilderness, God can still find that path to death. Being death and still our day. We can lay down in comfort, even though all around us, if we would look around, those problems are still out there. And the problems are real, and we need to do something about them. I'm not, I'm not advocating an ostrich with a head in the sand type of approach to these problems. And we don't have to retreat. Since the Lord is our shepherd, we can know that we will be more cared for and protected. Second line, he leads me beside still waters. Again, stress the idea of restfulness and satisfaction. Shepherds typically watered sheep from pools of water captured between rocks 
that had been sated and therefore kept from evaporation. That's what's meant by quietly. Just like these sheep were laying down in the soft grass and pretended they would like to have been eating, but their bellies are so full they don't have to eat if they're laying down on Water, which was a precious commodity at the time, would have been a place where they were drinking, would have been a place of quiet and contemplation. We might better understand this as waters of restoration, where the sheep could lie down, knowing that at any time they could get up and start again. But without that, that's why we can do that. So the conclusion to this story is he was satisfied with that. Through providing nourishment and drink, the shepherd restores the life of the hungry sheep. The Lord, Yahweh, restores the life of his hungry and thirsty flock. But there's a spiritual application here as well as a physical application. Like the Simon and Garfunkel song in the mid-60s, remember, Bridge Over Troubled Water? Jesus Christ is a bridge over troubled water. When we think we can't go on, we go down. When we're so lonely that we can cry to encourage us, when we're worried sick, when we sin, He forgives us. He's the good shepherd. He restores life. The final stanza we put the cover to that. He guides you in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Not only leads us to food and to drink and protects us, not only does He take care of our physical needs, He takes care of our spiritual needs. Give us guidance in the proper path of life so we don't just wander through this world aimlessly. God has graciously, when we come to the path, decided to disclose himself to us. That's the difference between what is it? It's between theism and deism. Deism is a popular philosophy of regeneration. Deists believe that there was a God. Certainly, they, they, they use God language all the time. But a deist doesn't believe that God interacts with his creation. But we have a God that has disclosed himself to us. He's, he's interacted with us, and he tells us what he expects of us. In his word, we have all the information we need for living this life in a way that pleases the one who created us. Part of this, according to this passage, he guides you in the path of righteousness. Part of it is for his own reputation, for his name's sake. In part, it's a desire on God's part to maintain his own reputation. The idea being, how can he hold you and me accountable for approaching it in the proper way, for interacting with him appropriately, if he's never disclosed to us how we're supposed to do that? How can he rightly hold us accountable for something we know nothing about. So he guides us in the path of righteousness partly because of his own reputation, because of his own integrity. The good shepherd is a shepherd of integrity. Yahweh goes with me. Yahweh is my shepherd. Not one of those 
hundreds and hundreds of other deities out there that aren't really deities at all. Not some statue up on a mantle somewhere. The God of the universe is my stuff. Therefore, I can't last for anything. This shepherd of mine, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, in places abundant in comfort, cold, and shelter. He leaves me beside quiet waters. Not just waters that aren't moving, but waters of Waters of cold, waters of relaxation. He restores my soul. When I'm when I've been out of shape, when I'm worried, when I'm troubled, when I'm lonely, when I have maximum anxiety, my shepherd comes and puts his arm around me and says, "It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because I'm your shepherd." Do you believe that, or is all of all these things that you've learned all your life from the time you were a little kid on? All these things about God being omnipotent and omniscient and the fact that He loves you and the fact that He's good, is all that just a game you're playing in yourself? Or do you really believe it? The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I cannot lack for anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. The good shepherd. Thank you.